Once again, good morning. Great to be in worship. We'll focus this part of worship on God's Word and within God's Word focusing on this theme, forgiveness from God. Forgiveness from God. It's a great study to think about extending forgiveness to one another. It's very important also to be able to forgive oneself. But this study this morning is forgiveness from God. Nothing new here, thank, thank the Lord. Nothing new. It's all found uh, in Scripture. You might say, well, I've heard this before. Well, so have I. So have I. One of the great ways of learning and digesting something is, is repetition. As they say, repetition is the mother of learning. It could be also that the one sitting next to you today doesn't know this as well as you do. It may be that you don't know these things as well uh, as you'd like to, and perhaps learning this a little bit more can help you, help any of us share uh, the message. Okay. This is a huge message. It is of value, and um, a husband has a message of value to his wife, and that is that he loves her. But it would behoove a husband not just to say that one time, or even two times. How many times a day do you tell your wife that you love her? And wives, how many times a day do you tell your husband that you love him? And same thing with your children. This is an important message from God. And so we say it again and again and again because of love. Two big categories this morning. The pathway to forgiveness and the results from forgiveness. Let's look at this right here. Mark 16, 16 starts us on the pathway to forgiveness. Mark 16, 16, our Lord Jesus says, He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. There are five views, five views of this little verse. We want to notice these real quickly this morning, five views. As we notice these, I want us to understand that these views are held by different people. And, and the people that I know that hold these views are very honest. They are very uh, sincere, very kind and nice and, and do good works. But also let's realize that only, only one view uh, can fit the pattern of God. Okay. And so the first view, people look at the verse like this. Here's the first view. They look at the verse as saying, he who believes and is baptized will not be saved. He who believes and is baptized will not be saved. Those who hold this view are uh, the atheists. The atheists hold this view. The atheists do not believe in God. They do not believe in salvation. They do not believe in respect for uh, the Bible. They do not believe that you have any need of salvation because they don't believe that there's any threat from sin or Satan or from God himself. But those that respect the Bible know that 1 John 5, 19 says that the whole world lies under the influence of the wicked one and that if we are in the world, according to Ephesians 2 and verse 12, we are away from God. 
We are without God and we have no hope in this world. That's why we read in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 4, Paul saying that God would have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. You see, Paul knows by inspiration and he relates to us God's mind on this that indeed there is a need uh, for salvation and that salvation comes through knowing uh, the truth. Okay. Another group that believes in this view of Mark 16, 16 are those who might believe in a God but they deny Jesus as the Son of God. There are many who believe in God or at least a God but they deny that Jesus is the Christ. But we realize once again from scripture that there's no way of coming to God, there's no way of having salvation except through Jesus. Going back to 1 Timothy chapter 2, this time in verse 5, Paul says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. Peter says in Acts 4 and verse 12 that, that under heaven there's no name given among men whereby we must be saved except through the name of Jesus Christ. And so this is one view that the atheists hold, and that is he who believes and is baptized will not be saved. A second view that is held regarding Mark 16, 16 uh, reads like this, he who does not believe and is not baptized will be saved. He who does not believe and is not baptized will be saved. This is the view of the universalist. The universalists are those who believe that in the end everybody's going to be saved no matter what. The universalist believes that God is so good that he would never allow anyone to be tormented in a wicked uh, place. But this is not the way Jesus thinks. This is not what Jesus said. If we look over in our Bibles to, to Matthew 7, 13 and 14, we hear Jesus say that narrow is the way that leads to life, and few there are that find it. And broad and wide is the way that leads to destruction, and many are they that go in thereby. And the Apostle Paul would reject this universalist uh, situation as well. In Ephesians 5, verses 5 and 6, Paul said, Let this be known to you. Of this we may be sure. Ephesians 5, verse 5. He said, You can be sure of this, that no one who is sexually immoral, no one who is impure, no one who is an idolater or covetous, none of these shall inherit the kingdom of God and Christ. And so we see how that this view uh, cannot fit what Jesus said. So we see the atheist view of Mark 16, 16, and then the universalist view of Mark 16, 16. A third view of this verse reads like this, He who does not believe and yet is baptized will be saved. He that does not believe and yet is baptized will be saved. This is the view of infant baptism. This is the view of infant baby baptism. 
Baby baptism is based on three false ideas. The first false idea is that babies are born with sin, that somehow or another babies inherit sin from their ancestors. A second false view that this is based on is that baptism can be administered by sprinkling or pouring. And then a third false view is that baptism can be administered without faith. Okay. So let's think about each of those false ideas. First, babies, when they are born, they come into the world safe and sound. Safe and sound. Jesus says in Matthew 18 and verse 3, Matthew 18, 3, except you become as a little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And again, in Matthew 19, 14, Jesus said, suffer little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. And then, of course, when we read about baptism in the New Testament, in the Testament of Jesus Christ, we read that it is a burial. Romans 6, 3 and 4 says we are buried with Christ in baptism. It's not a sprinkling, it is not a pouring, but rather it is a, a burial. And of course, baptism has absolutely no value without faith without faith. We read in Hebrews 11 and verse 6 that without faith it is impossible to be well pleasing unto God. Our Lord Jesus said in one place in John 8 and 24, except you believe that I am he, then you shall die in your sins. You see a little baby comes into this world safe and sound. A little baby is not yet able to believe. Romans 10 17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Eventually that little baby will grow up and be able to hear God's word and be able to believe. But right now they are safe and sound in the sight of God. And so that's a third view of Mark 16, 16. The most popular view in our area, which is not right, but it's, it's very popular, has the verse reading like this, he who believes and is not baptized uh, will be saved. Those who hold this view feel that because of the grace of God, then only belief is necessary. Belief is sufficient without obedience. In other words, those who hold this view believe that obeying God has nothing to do with salvation. They simply understand it this way. They think that once you're saved, then that's the reason that you obey. But Jesus seems to uh, stand opposed to that idea. In, in Matthew 7 and 21, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father who is in heaven. And the same thing with the Apostle Paul. He rejects this idea. Romans 6, 17, Paul said, that Whereas we were the servants of sin, God be thanked. God be thanked that whereas we were the servants of sin, Romans 6, 17, you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine that was delivered to you. Being then made free from sin, you have become the servants of righteousness. And Peter also rejects this idea because he says in 1 Peter 1 and 22, seeing then that you have purified your souls through your obedience to the truth, love one another with a pure heart uh, fervently. And the Hebrews writer also would reject this idea because Hebrews 5 verse 9 says that Jesus is the author 
of eternal salvation unto all those who obey him. And then John, the Apostle John, the Apostle of love, speaks very highly of obedience in 1 John 2, beginning in verse number 3. 1 John uh, 2, in verse number 3, we read, And this, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his command, commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him truly is the love of God perfected. And so we see here simply that uh, this view of Mark 16, 16, he who believes and is not baptized doesn't seem to fit the pattern of either Jesus or Paul or Peter or the Hebrew writer or even John the apostle of love. And so we come back now to the fifth view, the fifth view. We come back to he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. This is the one that most consistently fits the, the overall knowledge of the New Testament. It puts belief and baptism as conditions uh, for salvation. Jesus himself says in another place, Mark, Matthew uh, 28 and verse 19, he says, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And again, Peter uh, sets up similar conditions for salvation in Acts 2 and 38 when he says, Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And Peter writes in his own epistle in 1 Peter 3, 21, that baptism doth also, doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward, toward God. And so, the most reasonable, it seems, the most reasonable view to hold is to simply let Jesus speak for himself. When Jesus speaks, he knows exactly how to speak. And when he speaks, he, he means what he says. There's really no reason to replace the words of Jesus or to deny the words of Jesus or to twist the words of Jesus, but rather let the Lord uh, speak for himself. Isn't that the best way of showing respect uh, to our Lord and Savior? And so this is what we would simply label the pathway uh, to forgiveness. Let's notice now some results of being forgiven from God. What does it mean uh, to be forgiven? On the monitor, you'll see some big words, but it's no big deal. They're simple. They're, they look big, but the words are very simple. Notice that when we are forgiven of our sins, we, we receive remission of our sins. Our sins are remitted. That means, that means a, a debt is canceled. A debt is canceled. That's good news, isn't it? Your debt is canceled. Jesus relates to us in Matthew 6 and verse 12 that sin is a debt. Sin is a debt. And it's a debt that we cannot pay. But in being forgiven through Jesus and his blood, our sins can be remitted. We can receive the remission of sins. When we read about Jesus setting up the Lord's Supper, Matthew 26 and 28, 29. 
he talked to you about the fruit of the vine. He says, this is the blood of the covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of your sins. And then Jesus himself leads Peter to say in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. That means when we're forgiven, the debt of sin is canceled. And then there's the word justification. Justification. Whereas remission is a financial term, justification is a judicial term. Okay. Just think of a courtroom. It's not that hard. Think of the courtroom. And think about the idea that our sin makes us guilty before God. James 2 and verse 10. James 2 verse 10. You'll want to check that verse. James 2 verse 10 explains to us that because we're not, it's not humanly possible to keep the whole law, then we stand guilty before God. None of us, no one has ever stepped on this earth who's been able to keep God's law in a perfect way except for Jesus. But because we can't do that, therefore we stand guilty before God. But when we submit to God, we are justified by His blood. That's a, that's a statement that, that ought to be underlined in your Bible. Romans 5 verse 9, Romans 5 verse 9 says we are justified by His blood. That is, justification means that our, our, um, our guilt has been removed. Our guilt has been removed. And then a third thing that happens is we are purified. That's what Peter says, you know, in 1 Peter 1.22. He says, when you obey the truth, you have received purification uh, to your souls. You see, sin, sin defiles us. Titus 1, 15 and 16 even says, sin defiles our conscience. It defiles us from the inside out. And so that defilement must be removed. When we are forgiven of our sins, we receive purification. That's kind of a sanitation idea. And then there's the idea of reconciliation. Reconciliation. As you all understand from Isaiah 59, that sin separates us from God and makes us enemies. But again, if you'll look at a little statement in Romans 5 and verse 10, you'll see that we've been reconciled by the death of His Son, the death of Jesus. You see, when we're forgiven, the death of Jesus reconciles us back to God, makes us, on, makes us friendly with God, makes us close to God again. Sin has taken us far away, but the death of Jesus can bring us back very close to God. So that's reconciliation. We're reconciled back to Him. And then sanctification. Sanctification. Sanctification means to set apart. Set apart. And to be ready to go to work for God. He sets us apart. When He forgives us, that's only the beginning of the story. Now we are ready to be His servants. Even to the Corinthians, many of the Corinthians were deep in sin, but many of them obeyed the gospel. And if you notice in, in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11, Paul says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Even other Corinthians, Paul was able to say, God has forgiven you by his blood. You've been washed in baptism, and now you've been set apart for the mission of Jesus Christ. And then going back, coming back to our favorite word really is salvation itself. 
Salvation is a deliverance. It's a deliverance from a very difficult, impossible situation. I always like to think about Exodus 14, 13 as God's people are leaving Egypt and they come out to the Red Sea. They're being pursued by Pharaoh's army. So behind them is Pharaoh's vicious army and before them is the Red Sea. Of course, God parts the Red Sea. But here's what Moses says. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord on this day. That explains salvation. Sin puts us in a situation where we cannot help ourselves. We are lost in sin. But he who believes and is baptized shall be saved. I was hearing someone explain the human body the other day and the effects of drugs on the human body. And so the human body speaks to us when we have pain. The body gives us pain and it knocks at us. And we have pain in our body, that's the body speaking to us. It's knocking to us, saying, We got pain, we got pain, we got pain. And then eventually we take drugs, sometimes for emotional pain, sometimes for physical physical pain, but the knocking doesn't go away. It's just the drugs are sort of like a pillow. It makes the knocking softer sounding but the knocking the source of the pain is still there and the drugs just sort of mask it but it's still there the problem is still down deep within still there even so sin knocks at us a good conscience hears that knocking and says I got to do something about this I'm guilty before God. But we are good at administering not drugs, but distractions to make that sound go away. The sound's not going away, but it, it becomes softer and softer. And we don't hear it. It's still knocking. Just because we don't hear it doesn't mean it's still not, doesn't mean it's not there. It's still there. Just as much as ever. But Jesus says in Luke 8 14 that the cares and the pleasures and the riches and many other distractions of life softens the sound of that guilt. But the guilt is still there. And the Word of God can help us. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It can cut through all the distractions and help us to see the will of God as it is. And we want to be forgiven from God. And we want everybody that we know and everybody we can contact to have that same treasure in their life. Will you come to our Lord Jesus this morning? Let's all stand and sing.